This podcast is part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club, a program designed to help all podcasts reach their full potential. For information about joining the Robots Radio Rocket Club, check out robotsradio.net. Hello, and welcome to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. My name is Austin, also known as Teacup. And my name is Shelby, also known as SheCup. Join us as we embark on unraveling all of your favorite mysteries from the Assassin's Creed universe. From Assassins to Templars to the mysterious Isu and more, we will seek to uncover it all. So join us, and maybe even take a leap of faith. Hey Austin! Hey Shelby! Are you ready to talk about Assassin's Creed? Yes, I am. Awesome. Me too. And welcome to those of you who are listening. Welcome to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. We are so excited for our topic today. Right, Austin? Yeah. All right. What's our topic? Tell them. Well, last week we talked about the Animus, which is kind of the thing that begins it all. So today we're talking about the name of the game. We are talking about the Assassin's Brotherhood or the Brotherhood of Assassins, the Hidden Ones, all of that kind of stuff. We're talking about where they came from, kind of what's happened, where they are. So are you ready? Um, yes, kind of. I think there's going to be a lot of stuff in here uh, that we talk about today that I am not familiar with, which is okay. Um, but for those of you who are listening, I finished Origins and have now moved on to Odyssey. Yes. Okay. So we're going to start at the beginning because to quote Sound of Music, it's a very good place to start. When do you think the assassins begin? Are you asking me? Uh-huh. Like, when do you think they trace their origin back as an organization? Um, to buy it? You're incorrect. Okay, tell me more. The assassins in Legend trace their lineage back to Adam and Eve. Okay, that's a long time. Yes. So, it's a long time. So for those of you who don't know, if you've never done the task of finding all the hidden glyphs in Assassin's Creed 2, you might not know this. But Adam and Eve in this universe, and I want to specify this in this universe, I'm not making any kind of claim about Adam and Eve in the world that we live in and know. So Adam and Eve in this universe are Isu hybrids, which means that they contain kind of both human and Isu DNA. Um, So they're kind of that, and they are in this kind of slave as the Isu are kind of enslaving humanity and all of this. They steal, or Eve specifically, steals an apple of Eden, which is, we'll get into pieces of Eden on a future episode, but they're like little orbs that um, you can use to create illusions, to influence the mind of the people around them. So they steal one, and they then lead a rebellion to fight for the free will of humanity. And this is kind of the thing that really puts like some assassins to say, we started with Adam and Eve. 
because they are fighting against oppressors uh, to liberate the free will of humanity. They are the first ones to safeguard the free will of humanity. Okay, but the, okay. Here's my question: Couldn't they argue that anyone who's fighting against oppressors for the free will of their people is an assassin? If this is what they trace their lineage back to, so you're t- you're talking ideology versus in like membership into a organization. So there's a difference between fighting for the same e- ideology. And being an assassin. Right. So, but what I'm saying is they say that Adam and Eve are the first people to do that. And that's where their movement and their brotherhood began. Okay, I understand. Right. Which, this is their believed beginning as opposed to what might be the historical beginning. Okay. So here's another question. In this scenario, does that make the Isu, like, God? So, in this scenario, humanity viewed them as gods in the story. Whether or not that they are God is they claim that they are not gods, that they were just venerated. but But a lot of Isu share names with mythologies that are around the world, like Juno, Minerva, Jupiter... Like, all of these people. And even in Assassin's Creed 2, when you encounter a memory of Minerva, she says, you know, Jupiter, who was once called blah, 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 blah. You know, like, all these different names. Um, That kind of, like, think the Eternals. If that helps with the Yeah, that definitely helps. Um, But not from another world. They are inhabitants of Earth. Okay, let's move on. Sorry. Um, so that's kind of the first, what the assassins consider the first group that establishes this idea that they start doing. Mm-hmm. And so next we kind of get several groups of people that are all happening within like 500 to 400 years of time. These different groups that pop up during different conflicts. Um, so the first group that we know of is the Artabanus group, which this is a group that operates in the Persian empire, which if you don't know, the Persian empire is kind of like modern day Iran, Pakistan, like that area of the world ish and maybe down into Iraq and that area too. Um, So that's the Persian Empire. Uh, And they, these, this group fights for freedom while Persia is ruled by King Xerxes the first, which is, which if you might find sign familiar, if you've seen the movie 300, that's a King Xerxes is there. There's also, there are several King Xerxes. Um, there's a King Xerxes mentioned in the book of Esther. I don't know if that's King Xerxes the first or what one of his descendants or not. We don't really know because it just says King Xerxes. Um, so that's kind of like where we are. And for more information about this group, you can play the Legacy of the First Blade DLC in Odyssey. 
um, which you kind of like fall around with what's happening. But you find this out pretty soon. King Xerxes is the first person ever assassinated with a hidden blade. At least first recorded use of the hidden blade. Um, so the next group um, kind of happens around the same time because these empires are around at the same time. Um, it's called Elante's group or the Babylonian Brotherhood. Um, and so they're operate in Babylon, which is another empire around the same time as the Persian Empire and all of that going on. Um, but this is, they kind of operate during Alexander the Great's time as Macedonia kind of keeps coming up and doing all of this stuff. Um, and so this group actually assassinates um, Alexander the Great, who is allied with um, the Order of Ancients, which is kind of a proto-Templar um, group. And so um, Elanti's statue, believe it or not, can be found in the Villa de Auditori in Assassin's Creed II. She is one of the six assassin tombs that you have to find to unlock the armor of Altair. And then obviously, as another proto-assassin group, we have Cassandra, the eagle bearer, a Greek Mercenary, Mystios, if you want to do that, known for fighting against the cult of Cosmos and Order of Ancients, who uses very other um, allies who kind of join her, um, from the historian Herodotus to the philosopher Socrates, um, Socrates, as they call him in the game, um, and other to, you know, um, the king in Athens to a bunch of other people. And then the more direct, I would say, descendant of what we know as the Assassin's Brotherhood comes from the Magi of Egypt, um, which they're kind of like established as an organization in Egypt. And, you know, Bayek is born into his father is a Magi. And so as he, he's kind of born into this, but pre-Bayek and the events of Assassin's Creed origin, the you know, the Egyptian empire, the um, Ptolemies, they kind of move against the Magi. Um, and it's kind of like this, you see this switch because the Magi start as guardians of the Pharaoh and Bayek kind of talks about this. But now Bayek, when he's kind of the last of the Magi, him and Aya, he talks about that the Magi are guardians of the people. Um, and you kind of see that again, um, assassin like ideology coming in of these guardians of free will um, and so all of these groups kind of like in this 400 years of a very like time of turmoil in the ancient world um, you know because you know Babylon falls the Persian Empire falls the Greeks kind of come in Cassandra's during the Peloponnesian War um, which is a big war between Athens and Sparta. Like, they're at the center of these groups. Um, Cassandra's fighting for kind of the free will of humanity, more just the freedom of her, of another person. I won't spoil that because that's where you are. But, like, mm -hmm. you get this, these ideologies are coming up again and again in these different groups. It's really interesting. Um, 
because all four of these groups, so you have the Artabarnas from Persia, the Alanti from Babylon, Cassandra from the Greeks, and Bayek Medjai um, of Egypt. It's interesting because each one of these uh, kingdoms, they either fall to each other or to Rome. So I guess my question is like, are the Romans super Templar heavy? Um, yes, because, and we'll get into this in our Templar episode. Yeah. Um, Julius Caesar is the first father of understanding, which is kind of the fi- identical, like, figurehead of the Templars. Like, I think it's more of, like, an idea than it is an actual person, because we've never, like, met a father of understanding unless, you know... Until Septimius in the battle with Aya says he is the father of understanding. It's more of a it's more of a thing that Templars say, like, may may the father of understanding be with you. Um kind of similar of like, you know, Christ be with you or peace be upon you, or other sayings like that. Um so like there is this idea that Rome kind of starts this Templar move it but it's also not because like the order of ancients traces it's like it's in persia it's in babylon it's in greece like these are you know so yeah i was just curious we don't have to spend too much time on that right so as we know at the end of the events of assassin's creed origin bayek and aya form what is called the hidden ones And I want to bring in a quote from Aya that she says about what the Hidden Ones actually are. When we assassinate, we assassinate. Only those who deserve it. The few sick souls who try to control us. But they will never know who we are. Cold, calculated poets of the kill. So this is what Aya says about the Hidden Ones. It's very Aya. Yes. Um, And it really kind of, I think it sets up this idea that the assassins are the protagonist of the games and the universe. But I don't think they would classify themselves as good people or the good guys. In fact, there's a conversation that happens in Assassin's Creed 2, which is what I'm playing through right now, with Desmond and Sean Hastings. Desmond essentially says something it's good to be away from Abstergo and working for the good guys. And Sean Hastings says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Good guys is a little too far. We assassinate people. It's in our name. Um, we guardian free will, but don't think of our, yourself as a hero. Yeah, I definitely see that even with Origins. Um, like... I think you can say Bayek is a good person, but I don't know if you can say the same mm-hmm. thing about Aya. But I do think they're like, I do think they're noble. They may not be good, but they have noble intentions. And, you know, you can make your judgments however you want. You know, there is the old saying, you know, hell is paved with good intentions. Good intentions. With yeah. the road to good intentions. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. So, but... That's what they say about themselves. I just thought it was an interesting quote that, like, Aya begins with this cold, calculated poets of the kill. Um, which it, it kind of deems, like, 
killing with a purpose. Um, so for the next 20 years, the Hidden Ones operate all across the Roman Empire, going up into uh, Brit Britain, Britannia, all the way east to kind of modern day India. And this all happens in the first century. Um, and so they kind of establish themselves in the Roman Empire all across it. You know, Aya's founding bureaus in Rome, Bayek's over in the Middle East, and there's more about those in the Assassin's Creed Origins DLCs, both the Hidden Ones and, um, oh, what's it called? The other DLC, that whose name I cannot remember for the life of me. So that's okay. Someone on Twitter will let me know. Um, you say that all the time. Do they ever let you know? No. <laughs> okay. You should keep that in. I will. Uh, so, obviously, the Roman Empire doesn't last forever. Um, it falls like other empires before it. And so, the collapse of the Roman Empire is detrimental to the assassins because as the Roman Empire has kind of established itself, the assassins have kind of infiltrated their way into the Roman Empire and they've kind of allowed allied themselves with the Roman Empire. And so as the Roman Empire collapses and you're dealing with all these tribes like the Picts, Scots, and Celts in Britannia and all of these other kind of like barbarian tribes, for lack of a better word, indigenous tribes, tribes outside the Roman government begin to move in. The assassins can't handle them and they're forced to pure, pull out. Um, we can learn kind of about this in Assassin's Creed Valhalla as we visit different bureaus all over England. But I have one that's taken from the London, uh, kind of codex that's taken from the London Bureau that I think is really interesting about the perspective of the assassins, hidden ones during this time. For years, we have scratched at the pillars of an empire, toppling one or two when the foundation seemed too strong and the weight of one Caesar's ambition seemed too pressing. But there is a limit to how many supports a building may lose before it topples to the ground. We might have been more careful, we might have been more selective, more cautious in our approach to liberty. You know, this is really interesting to me, and I know I don't have the full perspective of all of the games, but, you know, I have watched you play one, I've played Origins, now, and now I'm in Odyssey. And you've watched me play a lot of... Well, that's true, but I wasn't really paying attention then, <laughs> um, <laughs> to be honest. But it, what's interesting to me is, like, Aya and Bayek, at least, during the game of Origins seem so opposed to the Roman Empire. And, like, of course they do ally with them for a little bit in the game, but they soon learn that that, that was the wrong step. And so I just feel like it's really interesting that this organization that they founded, and when they founded it, they, you know, hated Rome. Like, Aya assassinates Caesar. And then it turns into an organization that has allied with Rome. I find that really, I find that really interesting. Well, to me, it's kind of like an idea of, like, play the Templars at their own game. Like, so the assassins start trying to create relations, and the hidden ones 
at this as they are at this point start to try to create relations with people of power who are placed in there and it's kind of that idea like rarely does a templar or assassin take power for themselves they're always behind the scenes kind of running things which makes sense because when you want that kind of things you don't want especially from the templar perspective you don't want to be the person who has to do the day-to-day business of running a country or empire well nor do you want the attention because then you're begging to be assassinated right or investigations to happen and you expose right so, but this is an important thing about like the relationship of the Hidden Ones to the Roman Empire because the first assassination of the Hidden Ones is Julius Caesar. Like of the official, from when Bayek and Aya say, we are the Hidden Ones after uh, the death of Flavius is when they do that. Julius Caesar is the first assassination. Aya beats Septimius in combat, but... And, like, you can go back and watch the scene, and I recommend it because it's a really well-done, like, designed and scene with callbacks to Julius Caesar's assassination and other things like that. But, like, that's the first what I would consider assassination. Um, so, yeah, that's interesting, their kind of relationship there with the Roman Empire. But I think it's more of a thing to, like, kind of play on the Templars' terms or the Order of Ancients' terms. Yeah, I see that. I see that now that you say so. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so after this, the Hidden Ones kind of abandoned the Western part of what was the Roman Empire, which is like Spain, Britannia, Germany, and even Rome to an extent. And they focused more on the Eastern part of the in- empire, Constantinople, the Holy Land, all that kind of area, Northern Africa, Egypt, um, and so they kind of remain there for hundreds of years until the 11th century CE. Oh, wow. That's a long time. Yes. Um, there is kind of this move in... I'm skipping the events of Assassin's Creed Valhalla because I don't want to spoil what happens, but the assassins kind of move over into Britannia and in a way kind of getting a little influence up into Norway and the kind of Viking area. And so that's important, but that's all happens in Assassin's Creed Valhalla, which as new as that game is new, I don't want to spoil that. So we don't know a lot about the time between, you know, the leaving of England and like the collapse of the Roman empire and the, where the start of the series is, which is around the 11th century, 12th century CE. And so we got a lot of issues kind of going on there, but we do, this is when the games start is in this area, when the hidden ones adopt their name as assassins. And so the etymology of this is really interesting. Um, So once again, a guest appearance by assassin historian Sean Hastings. He speculates the name might have mere adoption of the name Hashashin, which means hash smokers. And it's a more like kind of Arabic term. And it was used as kind of like an insult to the brotherhood as they were operating. Um, 
because all, and you'll see this in Assassin's Creed one, often the assassins are referred to as heretics. Um, and this is because the official like religious belief of the assassin brotherhood is either agnosticism or atheism, outright atheism. And it's and set so, during the crusades. So, right. So they're heretics both on the crusader front and the, um, religious front. Yes. Or the other, the, what, uh, Saladin's people, the Islam, Islam in that term, but they have a Saracen, Saracen is what they are. Okay, cool. Sorry. Um, no, it's okay. Here's a question. I know this is a little off topic. So you just said that the assassins official religious beliefs are agnostic or atheist. Correct. So what are the Templars? Um, for another episode. Okay. <laughs> well, let's keep going. Yeah. Um, so they kind of changed to this assassin name, which you can kind of see that like Hashashin assassin. They're similar words, uh, which if you know, a lot of cultures eliminate that H. So like assassin would, if you take the H's out of Hashashin. Yeah, I see that. Um, and so they start operating and eventually kind of where the main group of assassins come through. There's other groups at this time, but for time's sakes, we're going to focus on the one we know a lot about, which is the Levantian Brotherhood. I believe I'm pronouncing that correctly, um, which is led by Al Molin. Um, at this time, they come under control of him. And this is where Assassin's Creed 1 starts. While we follow Altair and the events of the Third Crusade, um, if you want to learn, play that game. It's on sale on Xbox right now. I will take my advertising money now, Ubisoft. And yeah, um, so that kind of happens. And not to spoil any, a lot of things, but at the end, Altair does end up taking over the Assassin Brotherhood there. And so post-Crusade, the Assassins start to kind of like regain control of the known world is where they get uh, Altair and other Assassins leaders kind of like see like, okay, we've dealt this big blow to the Templars with the Third Crusade. Um, so let's move in to kind of like reestablish this. And there's several things I'm going to hit on what I think are the big ones. Um, but there's a lot more to them. Uh, that we can go into, and I'm planning on going deeper into more of these movements as their own episodes, because there's a lot to talk about. So yeah, we could we could be here for hours and hours and hours. Right. So first one, we're going to talk 1215 CE. Uh, King John of England, uh, he comes under Templar influence, and so the leaders of the assassins there decide to lead a rebellion that eventually ends up resulting in King Henry III becoming King of England. And there's a lot of tension between the assassin leaders in that moment, but that's basically what happens. So already the assassins, right from the get-go after the Crusades, are like, okay, let, let's get the people we want to support in power here. Um, and a simple thing, Around 1227, you know, Genghis Khan and the Mongols are starting to make their conquest in East Asia. And so Altair sees them as a threat. He sees the Mongols as a threat. So he takes a bunch of assassins out of Masyaf 
to go and deal with Genghis Khan, which eventually leads helping the Chinese assassins take down uh, Genghis Khan. Does, is that in the main game or is that a DLC? That is um, off screen. It is done through, uh, I'm assuming, a couple comics and done through Codex. Um, the assassin that kills Genghis Khan uh, is one of the six assassins tombs that you find in Assassin's Creed 2. Um, he kills him by shooting him off his horse. So, um, and another fun fact, I forgot to mention this earlier in the episode, uh, Aya is also one of the six assassin tombs that you find. In China? Or no, in, in, in Assassin's Creed 2. That's yes. interesting. She's amunet, which makes sense because she starts the Brotherhood in Rome. Okay, so this is, again, a little off topic, and I'm sorry to keep bringing us off topic, but I guess my question is, like, if Aya is, is back in Assassin's Creed 2, I am just wondering, like, how, how far out do you think that they've, like, planned all the games? I think that what happened is, okay, uh, so she's in there as Amunet. Oh, okay. So it's not Aya. And you learn this in Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Bayek and Aya do not want their names attached to the history of the assassins and the hidden ones. So they, they use a bunch of code names and, like, don't want to do that. So she's known as Amunet. Um, so I think post thing they said oh well there's this assassin that we know we already said was responsible for the death of cleopatra so let's just put her and rework her into the story is probably what happened um but that's good writing on ubisoft's part of making that connection and you can see and it's not the first time they've done it because you also as i talked about the artabanus group artabanus who's also known as darius he is also one of the six assassins that you find. So, um, so back on it, as you can imagine, Genghis Khan's sons and the other leaders of the Mongols who are Templar agents are not happy that Altair led to the death of Genghis Khan. So, um, the Mongols in 1256 attack, attack Masyaf. Um, they sack it. And this results in the Assassin's Brotherhood kind of being wiped out from that. The destruction of that Brotherhood, the Levantian Brotherhood. Altair ends up locking himself in a secure vault underneath Masyaf, where he just sits there and dies. Um waiting with memory seals. So at this point, the Templars think they've won, that they've kind of eradicated. They've dealt a huge blow to the assassins. The assassins have spent the last 100 years, 50 years, kind of trying to rebuild their power. And with the Mongols, they're gone. Um, Altair is dead. They think, okay, that will end it. But... The assassins are more resilient than that. Um, so the assassins decide to continue their existence to kind of restart over and go back from this whole work in the shadows to serve the light, to not be that. But they're not totally detached from the idea of being in power. 
and like having influence of people with power. So French assassins, and you can see the results of this in Assassin's Creed Unity, they assert influence over Pope Clement V and Pope Philip er, and King Philip IV of France. To move, and they influence them to move again the established organization of the Knights Templar, which is the kind of face of the Templar order. Um, so they kind of move them to eradicate them as a group. They storm a Templar temple in Paris, kill the Grand Master. They burn him at the stake. It's a big whole ordeal. The Templar order, the Knights Templar order, is declared illegal and a heretical and a heretical group under Pope Clement. Which I, you'll, we'll have to fact check me on this, but I believe is an actual historical event. That the Knights Templar are declared heretics by Pope Clement. Yeah. I don't know. But we'll have to fact check that. Um, and so, after that, the assassins continue fight the Templars. It's more of this. It's like struggles for power and things, you know. They, they take, the Templars take the, the papacy. The assassins take the Pope. They are putting up leaders and all of these things. You don't really have... The problem is, like, it's hard to conceptualize because the countries as we know them don't really exist yet. Like, England is kind of getting there on its, like, one country. But, like, Italy, as we know it, Germany, France, like these established countries are not like that. Yeah, they're not there on. There's not this centralized leadership that is happening. Like, for example, we see a lot like in Assassin's Creed 2, we go to Florence and we go to Venice and Rome, like the leader of Venice and the leader of Florence don't have to listen to each other and neither of them have to le listen to the like the leader yeah. wherever. I mean they're beholden to the pope a little bit because of Christianity, but but you know you know what I'm saying and like there's all these german princes that contain their own they basically rule as kings themselves. Um right, it's it's much more individualistic yes. than it is today. Right. And regional and other things like that so there's all these different conflicts and other things like that and like this events of assassin's creed 2 and Revel 2 revelation all happen kind of in this time but i think an interesting one is is that the hundred years war is a conflict between the assassin controlled france and the templar controlled england Which, if you all know, like the, the, the Hundred Years' War is really, when you learn about it in history, it's kind of this movement between Protestant and Catholic a little bit. Um, you know? Yeah, I definitely see that. Yeah. And so, which would make sense that, you know, at this point, both would be Protestant at this point and during the Hundred Years' War depending on who is queen or king of England. So it is kind of like that thing, but you can see like Ubisoft really sets it up for them to put different political figures in each group easily. Like you could totally see like them putting someone like Martin Luther is actually an assassin, like, cause he's very much about 
the freedom of the people and moving against the Pope and all of that stuff. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, so I think it's interesting the way they're setting that up for it's really open ended for them to kind of take anywhere they want, no matter what era of history they pick to set these games in. So after kind of Renaissance gets taken care of and the events of the games happen, the Borgias rise and fall to power, which spoiler for Shelby, the Borgias are Templars, a huge Templar family. I feel, look, it's not really that much of a spoiler because at this point, I'm just assuming that everyone in history was either an assassin or a Templar, so. It's not a bad assumption or that they at at least had some kind of contact with them. Um, And so then we're moving into this new world um, era. And this is where I think that the assassins really kind of hit their stride of like the groups of people that they want to identify with. So as the new, the new world period, which for history buffs, that's the period of colonization from 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue to the American Revolution. Um, and even really beyond into imperialism. So during this period, the assassins do take a part in that, but Assassin brotherhoods start popping up among the indigenous tribes of the Caribbean. Which I think is interesting that this ideology comes about these people that are being colonized. Um, And through various conflicts in different games, depending on where you are, the Assassin's Brotherhood is fighting against Spain, France, and England. Um, in all of these kind of colonization, really more Spain and England, because they're the ones that are kind of colonizing that era, whereas France, France has Haiti a little bit, and then up north in Canada, which you know. Um, so that's when the events of Black Flag begin to take place. Um, and so the assassins continue to operate in various countries and influence the world. And this follows everything from the events of AC Rogue, Three, Unity, and Syndicate up until we're going to enter the modern day. But before that, I think we need to take a break and go to the middle of our show. Yeah. You want to do that? All right. Well, let's do that. Who are we who have been so blessed to share our stories like this? Okay. Well, welcome to the middle of our show. This is where... Usually we thank our patrons and all of our listeners and everyone who supports us and give you any kind of pertinent uh, information that you might need about the show. Right now we don't have a Patreon, but if you love our podcast and would like to support us financially, let us know if you want us to have one and we'll think about getting one. But since we are a new podcast, one of the number one ways to support us right now is to share our podcast with other people. If you have friends that love Assassin's Creed, uh, tell them about us. If you have social media, share our posts. Um, And another thing that is super, super helpful is ratings and reviews. reviews. So on our other podcast, the Dragon Age Lorecast, something we do in the middle of the show is we read out every single five-star review we ever get. And we're going to do the same thing on the Assassin's Creed lore cast. So 
It would be super helpful to us, especially since we're a new podcast, if you could rate and review us on Apple or on Spotify. Um, and like I said, we'll read out all of those reviews on the show. And you know what? I think I'm just going to tell you why it's important to rate and review podcasts. Obviously, it makes us feel good when we see that that people enjoy our show. But more important than that, it rate good high ratings and a good number of ratings tell new listeners, potential new listeners that this is a good show. This is a show worth listening to. So if, you know, we're just sitting out there with zero ratings and reviews, people might skip over us that might love us. So, um, if you do like our podcast, leave us a review and a rating on Spotify and Apple, if you would be so kind. And Austin, I think that's everything we have to talk about in the middle of the show, unless I am forgetting something. Yeah, I think that's it. Again, all uh, all of that. And I just want to kind of add that we love to talk about this stuff. One of the reasons we did that we do this is to meet other people and talk to them about these games that we love. So if you want to join the Robots Radio Discord or our personal Discord that you can find in the episode description, oh, yeah. that's a great place to come and talk to us. We're on both places. Um, if you join the Robots Radio Discord, there's a bunch of other podcasts that you can get plugged into a community. Um, and that's kind of why we do this, really, is because we like talking about video games. Yeah, absolutely. All right, you ready to get back into it? Let's get back. True knowledge exists in knowing that you know nothing. All right. So we're kind of at the modern era. And we kind of talked about like what the assassins were doing kind of in the 20th century last week with the formation of the animus and the die Glock, the bell and all of that stuff. And that history of the animus, because that's really what drives the 20th century is this ability to relive memories and the chase for the peace of Eden. But there is a very defining moment that happens at the end of the 20th century. Um, and it is called the great purge. That doesn't sound good. It is not, at least for the assassins. So you might have heard reference to this in other games. You might have heard uh, callbacks to other things like that. And you might even be wondering as you're playing the games, like, okay, all these are established groups in history. And even like as late, I mean, Syndicate takes place at the turn of the century. There's a DLC that takes place during World War I. So you might be asking yourself, where are these, why are they so little assassins in the modern day storyline? And this is why. In 1989, Hannah Mueller, an assassin, brought Daniel Cross, who if you remember from our Animus episode, is subject four. Uh... She thought he was a confused assassin. Uh, she brings him to an assassin compound in Philadelphia where the compound's director, kind of a mentor era, which is kind of like where in the assassin's hierarchy, that is their thing, their highest person, believed he was, it was destiny. Cross was brought there to join the Brotherhood, which Cross does not... Uh, 
is not uh, buying all that. Um, he sneaks away from Mueller uh, to get some kind of medication uh, in that he experiences a bleeding effect vision. And he believes it is now his mission to find this mentor. So he joins the assassins and kind of goes through all of this things of initiation and do that. And from the moment that the mentor, Paul Bettany, hands him his hidden blade and Abstergo uh, Templar trigger happens and Daniel Cross assassinates Paul, assassinates the mentor and ushers in the great purge, what's called the great purge, which is like through Daniel Cross, the Templars are able to gain access and information to the assassin's locations, their safe houses, their headquarters, their uh, kind of places where they raise assassins and train them, their training facilities. And they just go through and they start eradicating all of the assassins. Wow. So how do they have? How do they get access to all of this? Uh, through, I mean, everything is networked together. Um, so the assassins in the state of chaos, uh, the Templars gain the upper hand, and this all happens in the presidential election of two thousand, which allows the Templars to install their puppet. Which you know, this is the this is the in lore universe. I'm not saying anything about this person. Or about whatever, but their puppet is George W. Bush, which, and it makes me believe that Dick Cheney is a Templar. I would believe that. It's really interesting to me that they even like put that in the games because I feel like, I just feel like they don't do modern history. Well, it's not in the games; it's in the comics. Oh, okay. So. Still interesting. I feel like they don't do modern history. So, I don't know. So, this kind of sets us up to where we need to go. Um, okay. So, in the following years, the Templars continue to hunt down the assassins uh, to thin out their numbers. So, in 2002, the Daniel Cross infiltrates a secret library and retrieves the Prophet's Codex, uh, from which the Templars learned about Desmond and his importance to the first civilization. So this is an important uh, information. So the Prophet's Codex is found in Assassin's Creed 2, and okay. it talks about a prophet. And it would have mentioned Desmond because, and this gets into Isu technology, when Ezio talks to Minerva, she mentions Desmond by name. That's interesting. As if they're f they can see in the future. So this is so this leads uh, Warren Vidic to attempt to kidnap Dan Desmond so that they can use him for the Animus project. Does that assassin or does that kidnapping attempt work? Yes, I mean they bring it. That's how Assassin's Creed One happens. They bring him to the Abstergo facility, oh, and okay. then he escapes with the help of Lucy Stillman. Um, who is sent by William Miles to infiltrate Abstergo um, for the Animus Project. And up until then, the assassins continue to operate with limited resources 
and off the grid to subvert Templar influence. Mm -hmm. uh, you can see these in the modern day times of the Vic games. And they really, they really have not bounced back from the Great Purge yet. Wow. So the Great Purge started in 98? Yeah. So it's Dang. been 30 years. They're kind of bouncing back. Not um, even 30 years. Oh, uh, yeah, I guess that's true. Like 20, not even 25 years. Right. So. Yeah. So before we end today, I think it's important we need to talk about what the assassins believe. Absolutely. Okay. So these, this is the creed. It, the games are called Assassin's Creed. This is the Assassin's Creed. Stay your blade from the flesh of an innocent. Hide in place, plain sight. Be one with the crowd. Work in the shadows to serve the light. Never compromise the brotherhood. So those are kind of the core beliefs of the assassins. Um, mm -hmm. And they also operate under this mantra. Nothing is true and everything is permitted, which we'll kind of get into when I get into kind of what they believe about all kinds of things. Okay. So the first thing to note about the assassins in their beliefs is that they are very empirical and what I, that's empirical with an E. Mm -hmm. So kind of relating to that, that they believe in this kind of rationalism. Uh, even though they have a set of ideals that they talk about, it's based on rationalism and knowing what they know. And so a unique vo viewpoint that you, before you can devise a specific code of ethics or belief system, you must approach the world from a chiefly scientific standpoint, untempered by bias, such as subjective products of morality or faith. So this kind of gets into their kind of agnostic atheism into that. Yeah, I see that. Uh, I don't says, like... Right, I don't. Uh, knowledge should be obtained first and foremost through strict, strict objective reasoning. Uh, I feel like that doesn't really like jive with what I've seen right. in the assassins so far. Well, hold on. And this is what comes about it. Altair argues, or he argue Altair argues that true or full objectivity is unreachable. It is. Um, I and agree. I agree with him. And he argues and reframes this kind of thing that the only thing that we can be for sure that we know is that we know nothing. Mm-hmm. You know nothing, Jon Snow. Right. Which is interesting. And so that's kind of where they with the maxim kind of thing that is nothing is true and everything is permitted. Mm -hmm. Which is kind of where you get with that kind of things going on with all of that. But with this kind of empiricalism, and this is kind of where we get in this, is also this idea of humanitarianism. And this is the belief that the assassins like exist for the betterment of humankind. Mm-hmm. Actually, both the Templars and Assassins believe this is their purpose. They serve for the betterment of humankind. 
That's fascinating to me. And you can make the argument that, I think you can make the argument that both of them, especially the Templars, but both of them are a detriment to humankind because they go around murdering people all the time. Right. And this is a point that kind of raises up. Altair really questions the creed, which he kind of stubs in. We're going to get into like the creed exists in paradox and their maxim exists in paradox. And we'll get into that. But this is kind of what he says about, you know, the condition of humanity and everything. It's like, what can be done to stop this? This being the human condition, the violence, all the stuff. To encourage tolerance and equality. Some days we speak of education, believing that knowledge will free us from immorality. But as I walk the streets and see slaves sent off to auction, my heart grows cold when I see the husband hurl abuse and stones at his wife, insisting she exists only to serve him. My fists clench, and when I see children torn from their parents so that another man might profit, sent off to suffer beneath the desert sun and die. On these days, I do not think that dialogue will make a difference. On these days, I think only of how the perpetrator need to die. Mm. Which really kind of gets to Altair's point of like, there's a limit to this objectivism. And if we're going to truly serve and better humankind, we have to do something about their suffering. Yeah, he's right. I just want to say same. Right. And you see this in a lot of places that get into points like the they argue against these established norms and assassins are always kind of questioning and pushing like we're not working for freedom enough for example connor kenway really pushes the american revolution it's like you cannot say you fight for freedom while you enslave people mm-hmm. um which is a unique perspective because connor is a person of color he's indigenous right yes uh, and so he sees all of that kind of going on. So this kind of things that obviously there are some critiques that come about this maxim of the assassins, uh, especially from Templars, which makes sense, and even from laymen, like people who are that. Uh, people who are what? who are like not involved with the assassins things, who assassin brotherhood or the Templars who kind of like, tilt their head at the assassin's understanding. Uh, and they think that their ideology borders on nihilism and self-gratification, which is a misunder what the assassins say is a misunderstanding of the maxim, nothing is true, everything is permitted. Yeah. Um, which the pirate Edward Kenway, when he's early, he shows that that... Um, he interprets everything is permitted to chase every desire. Templar James Wardrop, uh, in his dying words, says, if everything is permitted, nothing is safe. Implying that the maxim calls for hedonism. Uh, scholarly woman to Ezio, Sophia Sator to Ezio Auditori, uh, remarks that the creed operates on a cynicism. It does. I think I think that's true, but isn't the world cynical about everything? Like 
I don't know. I guess I get their ideology like it it emerges from a place of necessity. Right. Because so, Go ahead. Well, no, keep going. No, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say is like we do have assassins responding to this. And Altair remarks like often this is the case with young assassins. Mhm. Um but Ezio explains to Sophia, he says that the creed itself is more akin to an observation rather than doctrine. Mm-hmm. And therefore, it's not meant to be followed nor obeyed, but merely understood. Uh, and so when Edward Kenway promotes it to the mentor, uh, Atabai, um, Atabai retorts back to him, it might not be that this... I- it might be that this idea that everything is permitted is only the beginning of a wisdom, not its final form. Yeah, that's interesting. Right. So it's, it's a thing about like they're treating something as a doctrine that's not a doctrine is the assassin's point. Yeah. And the point of like what is really they're trying to say with the concept that nothing is true is that laws, systems of morality, and all of these come from a human standpoint and therefore is inherently flawed because it's behind some kind of agenda. Hmm. And so nothing is true and everything isn't permitted is understanding that the world is not what it appears to be. Yeah, because there's always someone hidden. Right. There's always something. Uh, there's always someone behind a mask. And it kind of symbolizes a, to me, the Assassin's Creed understands a sort of relativism to the world. Relativism? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that's kind of like their core beliefs. Um I would do their structure, but it's so varied between brotherhoods, like different uh, sects, that it's hard to do that. But almost always, there is a mentor over a brotherhood, and they're called a mentor. Interesting. And mentors are recognized as mentors across brotherhoods is an important thing. Okay. So, like, when Ezio goes to Constantinople the Constantinople assassins recognize him as mentor. Right. Uh, because he's mentor of the Roman assassins. Yeah. The I Italian like assassins. Um, and there's different stages into initiation. Uh, you can be born into the assassins brotherhood, such as Desmond, Ezio, Altair. They're born into the assassins, or you can be recruited like Connor Kenway, Sean Hastings, Edward Kenway, like all these people are recruited into the assassins. Okay. Um, but no matter what, there's always a point of like, you don't just join the assassins and hello, here's your hidden blade and you're amazing. There's a period of like of you learning, training and learning the ropes and all of those kind of things. And assassins take different forms. Not all of them are the parkour experts that jump around and do everything. Some are historians, some are tech tech experts, uh, some are, you know, politicians. They yeah. serve all kinds of functions. And that makes and that makes their order stronger. And that's what the Templars do as well, is what I was gonna say. 
Well, do we have anything else to talk about with the assassins? I think that's it. Um, I just know that I'm partial to the assassins. I think they're a they're obviously like the protagonist and the people we're supposed mm-hmm. to sympathize with. Um, even though I do love Assassin's Creed Rogue and I like learning kind of the Templaric perspective, I think that assassins are where I would want to be. Yeah, I think I agree with you. Even though I haven't played all the games yet, but. right? But that's all. I'm also American, so this idea of like gar- self guarding freedom is something that jives with the culture I was brought up in. Yeah, true. Well, thank you for listening to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. We'll see you next week. Yes. All right. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Assassin's Creed Lorecast. You can find us on Twitter at Assassin's Creed Lorecast, or you could talk to us on Discord in the Robots Radio Discord or our personal Discord server. Both links found in this episode's descriptions. Thank you for listening, and always stay to the shadows to serve the light, Assassins. Ever wanted to be a content creator but had no clue where to begin? Come join me as I sit down with content creators that have already faced the challenges you're up against as they discuss the tips and tricks that help them be successful. Here on The Content Creator's Guide, available wherever podcasts can be found.